last Sunday we considered a number of um, aspects in looking at biblical work ethic. What can you remember? What were the five things we sought to oh sorry the three things we sought to to address anyone we looked at three things Yes, every work is a calling from God. Your work is your divine appointment by God. So the responsibilities God has given you, they are not merely jobs, but providential callings. So your first area of calling is your family. We looked at that. And your place in the family is the first calling in your life. So every single occupation represented here has dignity in the sight of God. It is a gift from God and it is an avenue for you to glorify God. What else did we look at? Everything in life is worship, including work. Yeah, everything in life, including work, is worship to God. We looked at what John Calvin insisted that the whole of your life should be lived before God, before the face of God, Coram Dio, and that includes work. So the whole of your life is worship, so that every legitimate work is worship to God because it is holy. It should be performed unto Him, so that regardless of the nature of the work, it can be cleaning the floor, it can be doing the laundry, it can be doing the dishes, as long as you are offering yourself to God, it is accepted as a holy and pleasing sacrifice to him. Lastly, the last thing we looked at, third point. We are to live out our calling. We are to do all the work for the glory of God. And what did we say? How do we glorify God in our work? How do we glorify God in our work? Yes. How do we bring honor to God in our area of our calling? Yeah, being uh, diligent and honest in your work. And we saw that part of the Christian work ethic is you actually work hard. And that should distinguish you as one with a different spirit. How else do you glorify God in your work? Yes, cautiously relying on God in your work so that whether it is day one on your job 
or or it is year 40 on the job you need to glorify god by cautiously depending and relying on him relying on his strength for you to accomplish your task and then lastly yes being grateful to god you have to look at work as a gift from god and that you should be grateful that he has given you a place to glorify him and then lastly we had a section on, on the sluggard we had a number of warnings and counsels as we saw that one of the problems that comes up when studying biblical work ethic is the issue of the of the sluggard the sluggard is a lazy person he is a fool who lacks wisdom to work hard and the sluggard is utterly wicked because he has contempt for the gift of God and the opportunity God has given him for sustenance the sluggard fails to worship God so laziness is a moral and spiritual issue and this morning I'd like us to continue with the second part of this series biblical work ethic part 2 and the first thing I'd like us to see his work is the primary means God provides for us. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Work is the primary means God provides for us. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse, eight, uh, verse 18. Someone can read Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You shall remember, because there's a tendency for us to forget and so he says you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who gives you power to get wealth work is the primary means God provides for us so no matter what your occupation is as long as it is legitimate it is God who is giving you power to get wealth so whatever work God has given you that is the primary means in which he provides for you that is the way he has designed to provide for your daily bread. So think for a moment. God could directly provide for us grain, fruit, vegetables without our plowing, without our planting. But he does not do that. God has chosen means for us to be sustained through working in the fields, through working in the garden, through working in the office working in class, working in government, working in church. Martin Luther says, these are the mass of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. So he's saying God has hidden himself. He's providing to you through, let's say, you're a teacher. And that is the means that he has, prov uh, that he has ordained, he has chosen to provide for you and Luther says it is the mask, it is, it is the thing that God has hide himself behind to provide for you. The Bible says every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 
So God gives us good gifts. But what must we do? God has given us work as a gift. You exert yourself by the strength of his might. He has given you gifts, talents, ability, so that you can execute that work. And when you execute that work, you're tired, you're hungry. He's given you appetite to eat and to drink so that your body is nourished and strengthened. So that again tomorrow you can go and work and bring glory to him. So work is the way God provides for us. And we have an obligation to provide for our family. The Bible warns us in 1 Timothy 5.8 that if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. That's a warning to us as Christians. God is going to provide all our needs, but for you to be provided for, he has given you opportunity to work. So we don't own anything that you can call ours. Everything belongs to God. Everything we have comes from God. So when Job loses his wealth, his family, he loses his ability to work, what does he say in Job 1.21? He says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job acknowledges that it was God who made him wealthy. It was God who made him impoverished. It was God who will later restore him twice what he originally possessed. So you should never think for a moment that what you have is yours and no one else. Even the ability to work and to acquire wealth and income, all that you receive as a gift from God. So for instance, a believer who is bedridden in hospital, and it comes to a real realization that the ability to wake up in the morning, to shower, to take breakfast and to go to work, it comes from God. The work God has given him is a gift. And that work is the means that God has provided for him. So the very air that you breathe, the food that you eat, the clothes that you wear, everything comes from God. Even the ability to earn your income, it comes from God, so that everyone in some capacity sorry some moment so the very air that you breathe the food that you eat everything comes from the hand of God and everyone in this room has some capacity to work. He's been given the ability to do work and to create wealth. That ability, we're told in Ecclesiastes 3, that is a gift from God. And one of the most miserable people in this world are people who do not work. They are restless. Because work is built in in the nature of man. You are happy and satisfied and you can have a nice sound sleep at night when you work but if you don't work your life becomes miserable 
And then secondly, since work is just, you work so that you can receive your pay. Since work is just, you work so that you can receive your pay. So there's nothing unbiblical about earning wages from your work. Jesus in Luke chapter 10 verse 7 says, The laborer deserves his wages. The Bible does not condemn wealth as evil in and of itself. It is legitimate for you to work to meet your own needs. Let's turn to Romans chapter 4 verse 4. Romans chapter 4 verse 4. Someone can read for us. So the one who works is to receive the wages. The wages are not a gift, but his due. So the general principle is you earn your wages through work and you don't receive the wages as a gift. The Bible has instructions, for example, to employers on how they should treat their employees. We have passages in scriptures that are very explicit on how for example, employers should treat their employees. What do you think the Bible says about employers towards their employees? What does the Bible say about employers? What do must employers do? What should employers do? To the employees or what examples do we see from scripture yes Victor yes they're not supposed to withhold their wages they should pay just payment to their workers. Yes, they should treat their employees with kindness, with dignity, because their employees have a heavenly master. Anything else? The Bible says that the employer must give Sabbath rest to their employees. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. This 
this is a command that is bounding that, that, that is binding to all men someone can read Deuteronomy 5 verse 12 Deuteronomy 5.12 the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Yes, six days, sorry, six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you so why should employers why should employers give employees a sabbath rest because it is a command from god god is the supreme authority even to the employer and one of the condemnations by god against the nation of Israel is that they drove their workers without rest. Look at Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 2 and 3. Isaiah 58 verse 2 and 3. Someone can read that. Isaiah 58, verse 2 and 3. day of your fast so these people they are very religious but they're not righteous so they fast this is an outward form of godliness but verse 3 says they oppress all their workers so they have no concern over their laborers they are setting the day to fast and pray and they want the rest of the workers to be oppressed and then secondly, the employers, so the employers are commanded to give the employees a Sabbath rest. And then secondly, the employers are commanded to make prompt payment to their employees. James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, we have seen, th seen this through the preaching. Um, James chapter 5, verse 1 to 6, I'll read. Come now you rich weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you 
Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. So the passage here is a warning about the judgment that is surely coming against employers who oppress their workers. And verse 1 says their misery is coming. Verse 2, their riches have rotted. Their, their, their garments are moth-eaten. Verse 3, their flesh is being consumed. Verse 4, they have sinned against the laborers. Verse 5, they have fattened for the day of slaughter. And then verse 6, they are condemned. So do not be slack in paying those who have worked for you. Pay them when they're supposed to be paid. Do not withhold payment. In fact, in Proverbs, to withhold payment is seen as evil. God, because God gives special attention to the cries of the oppressed. Even for the nation of Israel, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, you can turn there, Deuteronomy 24, Verse 14. Verse 14 and 15. Someone can read. Deuteronomy 24, verse 14 and 15. You shall not oppress your, your, your sorry. You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy. Whether he is one of your brothers or one of your sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day, before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord, and you, you be killed of sin. So the wages of the, um, the wages of the hired man should not remain until the morning. So it was wrong in the Old Testament to have someone work for you and you don't pay for their day's wages because these people are destitute they live a day at a time uh, and god here says that he shows very um close concern to the poor and the oppressed and then thirdly employers should be kind to their workers employers should be kind to their workers uh, turn to ruth chapter 2 verse 4 we have the example of boaz Ruth chapter 2 verse 4. Ruth is just after Judges and before 1 Samuel. Ruth chapter 2 verse 4. Someone can read. Ruth chapter 2 verse 4. And before 
Lord to your people. The Lord be with you and your young son. The Lord bless you. So, yes, no, no, just verse 4. So it's very interesting there. Boaz is the employer. The reapers are his employees. But notice how he goes to them. He goes and he tells them, the Lord be with you. It's as if he's telling them that the Lord be their help. That the Lord be their health, their strength, their industry to accomplish their work. You see, this kind of salutation is of utmost admiration. If you're, if you're in a company working and your employer comes and tells you this, salutes you with, the Lord be with you. And notice how the employers respond. Sorry, the employees respond. They say, the Lord bless you. It shows that they had respect to him because he also was kind to them. So employers should be kind to their workers. And then number four, employees should be paid just payment for the work employees should be paid just payment for the work jeremiah chapter 22 verse 13 jeremiah 22 verse 13 Someone please read. Jeremiah chapter 22 verse 13. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness and his upper rooms by injustice. Who makes his neighbor serve him for nothing and does not give him his own. So he makes the neighbor serve him for nothing and he does not give you your wages. So employers should be able to give just payment their work in first timothy chapter 5 verse 18 we are told that you shall not muzzle an ox while it is trading in the field and it prohibits animal abuse how much more humans to abuse others the employer is ungrateful when they fail to pay their employee the employees the just payment for their labors so we see from scripture clearly that work is the primary means God provides and being paid for your work is the just and right reward of your labor as an income. But if you, you have to understand that if everything that has been said in the past two classes, the real reward of your labor is not less than your income. It is more than your income because you're working unto the Lord. So work is a blessing from God. It is a gift from God. And there should be a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment in the job that you have done. There should be a sense of contentment and satisfaction in a hard day's work. So the whole idea of working is not simply to get money. That is part of it. But there is a sense of reward in fulfilling your call as you're serving God. So let's say you're a caretaker. A take of a building and in terms of the description of your work you sweep the floor you clean the toilet and the world looks at your job as, as a low grade means of making an income the reality is it is God who gives you the ability to sweep the floor to clean the toilet 
It is God who provides income through your job. There is dignity in the work of a caretaker as unto the Lord. There is sense of satisfaction having accomplished a day's work. And hence it should not be seen as lowly in the eyes of the world. If you are an employee, you should work hard to display the gospel. You should remember that you are serving Christ. Even if your employer is a secular is a secular employer, is not a believer, you have to remember that your real employer is Jesus Christ. Because if you're a Christian and you're lazy, you're not faithful in your work. You go to the toilet to read the Bible for 30 minutes instead of doing your work. You cause the name of the Lord to be reviled and to be mocked. You bring shame to the name of the Lord. Christian people work hard to display the gospel. Your identity is not found in the nature of your work. It is found in the one who has loved you. The one whom you are serving. So what other motivation do you want other than to serve Christ? Jesus Christ. And so are you a testimony in your workplace? Of hard work, of faithfulness, of diligence. Does your life and work display that Christ is a hard worker? Does your behavior at work do you show respect to your employer? Because if you have been saved, the gospel has transformed you and it should cause you to respect your highest, your supervisor, and even to the lowest person at your job place. You see, no work, brethren, should be beyond us. Because every, every work has dignity. And then thirdly, we work hard so that we can give more. We work hard so that we can give more. So the income that you receive from your work is not a motivation for you to fulfill all your desires. Instead, it is an opportunity for you to give more. And you see, the way our culture has shaped our work ethic, the culture says that you work hard, you work overtime, you work to the point that you wear yourself out, you try to climb the career ladder so that you can earn more money, so that you can have more stuff for yourself. The Bible is in complete favor of working hard so that you can get money. But it is not to buy yourself more things. But it is for you to give more to the work of God, to the work of the kingdom. To give more to those who are in need. You don't work hard to be prosperous so that you can become wealthy. Biblical work ethic is you work hard so that you can make more money. So that you can give more money towards mission, to the advancement of God's kingdom, to the work of the church, to helping those in need. You have to remember that God may or may not bless his people with prosperity. You see, that, that is God's sovereign will. God doesn't say, because you have worked hard, 
I'm going to give you money. Because you've worked hard, I'm going to give you a house or a car and a land. God is in no way obligated to do that, in fact. In Ecclesiastes, we are told that adversity and prosperity, they come from the Lord. And it is up to God to whom he gives what? Ecclesiastes 7.14. You can work really, really hard and not have wealth. But generally speaking, if you read the book of Proverbs, those who work hard mostly gain wealth than those who do not work hard. God may give you prosperity, he may not, but that is up to him. And whatever he gives to us is a blessing that is designed not only to bless us, but also to bless others. So the motivation for the Christian to work is that so that he can help others. And our first obligation is to honor God. Before we honor others, we honor God. Turn to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Verse 9 and 10. Please, someone can read Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Proverbs here, this is not a hundred percent promise. This is general wisdom of how things generally go. Now, first obligation, as God provides for us, is to honor Him with our wealth. So, wealth is whatever God sees fit to give you. And there should be a principal determination by God's people to say, What I get comes from God. Therefore, I'm going to honor God. By, by giving back to him. We are not owners of what we have. We, we don't own anything. We are stewards. We've just been entrusted with God's riches. We should hold them with an open hand so that when God decides to take it away from you and put it in the hands of someone else, and give praise to God. I believe the bare minimum standard of giving under the new covenant is a tithe. Randy Alcon says, tithing is the new covenant believer training wheels in giving. Tithing is not the ceiling, it is the floor of giving. It's the starting point. Tithing is something you do so that you can learn how to trust God. And you don't tithe out of compulsion. You do it as a training ground. You're learning how to revere God and to trust Him more with what He's given you. Tithing builds your confidence as you learn to trust God. So when you're blessed by God in a way that you have an income and you refuse to honor Him, you're actually stealing from God. And that's a serious charge. You may say that you've not broken into the offering box and stolen, but you have stolen by withholding 
يوقفري you withholding something that belongs to god everything in fact 100% of your income belongs to him and you don't give out of the sense of fear you give because you love god you want to honor him and you love one another so god provides for us so that you can honor him with what he gives proverbs 11 verse 24 proverbs 11 verse 24 to 26 someone can read So there's a comparison here of two people. There's a generous person who gives away money freely. There's that a picture of someone who holds things with a tight fist. And someone says that the one who scatters, the one who gives generously in God's economy and does not hinder sorry the one who gives generously it does not hinder them from meeting their needs they do not become poor by giving rational giving does not make one pure poor rather it is a gateway for god to bless even more and then you have the picture of the one who holds things tightly and he thinks that when he holds it more tightly he will have more of it but the results are opposite the more he holds tightly the more he becomes needy the more he is overtaken by ruin <coughs> he may think that he's holding tightly so that he can have enough but he ends up harming himself because he does not give generously and give and freely so this verse is make the general point that the generous person is blessed while the stingy person is ruined number of proverbs but time will not allow us to cover all of them <clears throat> let's see the example in the new testament in acts chapter 2 verse 44 Someone please read 244 to 46 47 of acts Acts 2 verse 44 to 47 
and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. So it talks about the disciples having all things in common. There was no one who was needy. This is not a prescription for communism or socialism. It is a reflection of the generosity of the early church. So that if someone was in need, there's someone who could make it, who could help to meet their needs. And the Lord Jesus Christ teaches us, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's look at one more example in the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. The Bible says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. The church in Corinth was a more wealthier church than many churches in the early church in the in the first century and <clears throat> Paul compares them with the church in Macedonia Macedonia was one of the poorest and yet the poorest <laughs> Paul says in hyperbole that they were they gave beyond their means they gave their all they gave sacrificially and it's very often that the richest people, even in the world, are often ranked as the stingiest. And it's very interesting that those who have less, they often give more. <clears throat> the churches in Macedonia were poor, but they were outdoing the church in Corinth, the wealthier church. But there's a biblical principle that if we give freely, generously, God will bless that. It may not be blessing in terms of material things, it could be blessing in terms of a more holy life. You're less attached to your wealth. Wealth is no longer an idol to you. It may be blessings that you cannot quantify. At the moment, we think that the economy is doing badly, badly. The cost of living is very high. And it's easy for us to say, this, this month I, might, I, I will not be able to help this person. I'll not be able to give more to the church. But I tell you, it is far much easier to survive with 90% with God than to, ha than to keep the 100% on yourself we should live in such a way that we're not trying to increase our standard of living 
we should live in such a way that we are trying to increase our standard of giving. This is part of work ethic that God has given to us. God blesses us so that you can bless others. God shares with us what he has and we should also share with others what we have. And then lastly, so work is the means God provides for us. Since work is just, you work so that you can receive your pay. We work hard so that you can give more. And then lastly, Jesus Christ is our perfect example. Jesus Christ is our perfect example. God always outgives. And God has given us the greatest gift, his own son, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He bore our sins on the cross. He has clothed us with his righteousness. God has outloved us. He has outforgiven us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, the Bible says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And these riches, the riches, the riches of grace are immeasurable. God gives beyond infinitely in a way that surpasses Romans chapter 5 verse 5 we read that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit over and over again we read from the Bible that God is a generous giver he outgives, he outloves, he outforgives and the cross is the floodgate in which Christians receive infinite grace and love. At the cross, Jesus shows that our sins are not forgiven by 10%. Our sins are completely wiped out. Our, our love, sorry, God's love for us is not 10%. God's love for us is, is 100%. It's beyond 100%. It is infinite. It is immeasurable. John chapter 9 verse 4, that's the last passage we look at. We have the example of Jesus here as a perfect model for us. John chapter 9 verse 4. Someone can please read. So Jesus Christ had a calling to do the will of God. He was sent by his father to do a mission. And you see, his work could not be done by anyone else. He would not delegate it to someone else. God did not send an angel or a cherubim to do that work. God the father had to look higher than the angels, his own son. There's no one who was fit to do that work. And Jesus Christ here insists that we must. He doesn't say he may or he should. There's an insistence that this work 
must be done. Whatever work God had given him, he was not going to refuse it. He never thought of any work as beneath him. He washed his disciples' feet. He was willing to stoop low. He takes the, po the position of a servant. There's work to be done. He doesn't find any excuses. He doesn't think that that work has no dignity. He takes up the initiative. And throughout his ministry, Jesus Christ bowed to the level of children, for example. He walked among poverty-stricken people. He did work among lepers. You know that time lepers were the lowest people in the society. They lived outside the city. And, and it's even told that you could tell you could tell the presence of a leper by the smell because their, their flesh is decaying. And no one wanted really to be in their midst. Jesus Christ did not see the work God had given him as something below him. He says, we must work the work the Father has given us. The one who was high and the lofty one comes and takes the position of a servant. And there's no reluctance in these words. There's no sign or hint of hesitancy. There's no sign of refusal. There's no sign of rebellion. He says, I must work the work of him who sent me. And even though he knew that work involved death, it involved the cross, he says, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the work God had given him was absorbed in his mind and heart. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Also notice there, the industry, the insistence, the industry. Three times he uses the word work. He says we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. Jesus Christ was a hard worker. He was a laborer. He was never idle, and certainly he was never a lazy person. We are told that great crowds came to him, bringing with them lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. See, brethren, we have a wonderful savior. Money was not his motivation. He worked to glorify the Father. He worked with his tongue. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, we are told that when he sat down with his disciples, he opened his mouth and he touched them, saying, We have the greatest salmon there, salmon on the mount. He worked with his hands. We are told that he stretched out his hand and touched the leper and he told him I will be clean 
and immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Matthew chapter 8, verse 3. He worked with his hands in raising Jairus' daughter. He goes to the girl and he says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. He took his hand, he took her hand and said, Talitha Kumi, little girl, I say, you arise. His day was filled with work. He spent nights in prayer with his father. Jesus Christ worked himself to the point of exhaustion. Matthew chapter 4, verse 36, we have the example. He's on the boat, he's asleep because he's exhausted. He says, the work God has given him. He must do it. And indeed, he did it unto death on the cross. He died for sinners, for us on the cross. His work involved death. He was compelled to work. He had duty. Whatever God the Father asked of him, he was willing to carry out. He loved his Father. He was willing and ready to do whatever God requested him. You see, love compelled him to do his father's will. You see, in work, there's no rebellion. There's no refusal. There's no resistance. There is a willingness to do whatever God has placed before you. He walked many miles, ministered to hundreds of souls. He was devoted to do his father's will. For this reason, brethren, we should imitate Christ. Finding delight in what God has given us, knowing that it is a gift from him and that we are doing it unto the Lord. Because you can imagine if Jesus was given the choice to choose for himself what he wanted, surely he could not go to the cross because of the wrath of God. But he was doing it unto God and to his Father. He was doing it unto you who has been forgiven, who has been saved. He was diligent. He did not waste his time. He did not allow himself to be distracted from the purpose to which God had sent him. And on the cross hanging, he knew that his work has been accomplished and that the scripture has been fulfilled. May we never forget the work that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done for us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you that work is the primary means that you provide for us. Thank you that Christ Jesus is our perfect example, our perfect model, and we seek to imitate him in the way that he conducted himself as an exemplary worker while here on earth. Pray that you may help us to be godly men and women, to give ourselves to the area of our calling. Forgive us, Lord, for our sins, our laziness, 
many a times we want to have our preferences as regards to work yet lord you command us to to work pray that you may help us help us lord to have a biblical perspective on this area and these things we pray in jesus name amen, amen.